Hey everybody, happy midweek. Hopefully you're great wherever you are today. Here's a little midweek pod for us in our series from redemption to recycling. So thankful you're listening. On Sunday, we had a beautiful morning together and we joined in on something called Freedom Sunday through an organization called International Justice Mission. They do a great work around the world. And it was just a beautiful morning for us to reflect on some stories of God's work in the world, especially taking those out of violence and slavery. And it was a great time together. And through our series, we talked a little bit about social justice and the church, social justice in the church. Basically, we drilled down and took some time to talk about what is biblical justice and righteousness. A beautiful morning. If you missed it, this is not self-promotion. We loathe self-promotion, but you should go back and listen because it'll give you a bit of a foundation to what we talked about. But with that said, we didn't get to talk specifically about a really important question that often comes around social justice. And we just want to take a couple minutes here and talk about it. And the question is this, is the social gospel dangerous? Is the social gospel dangerous? I think there's a lot of banter right now. If you just follow the Twitter verse and there's conversations between a lot of conservatives and progressives in the Christian world around this idea, and I don't want to be controversial, but around this idea of social justice. And so the question arises, and many would say that this idea of the social gospel is something that's dangerous and polluted. Is it true? Let's answer the question. And I think the way that we have to once again answer this question is by asking another question. And that question we've already looked at in this series at the very beginning, but the question is this, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? This is what we need to think through if we're gonna wrestle through, is the social gospel dangerous? I'll just say this, if the gospel is simply the plan of salvation, then your gospel is too small. And if the gospel is simply something like atonement, then and, and that's on its own. That's it on its own. And that's true for many people. Then your gospel is too small. And if the gospel is simply getting me to heaven when I die, let me say it again. Your gospel is way too freaking small. Now, don't get me wrong. These things, uh, and what we just said there, uh, the plan of salvation, atonement, dealing with heaven, all of these things have to do somewhat with the gospel, but they are not the full thing. And the problem is in the West, we've kind of whittled, and we've talked lots about this at Praxis, that we've whittled down the gospel to basically these things, atonement, the plan of salvation, and how the heck am I going to get to heaven when I die? But there's more to it. The gospel is better known in the in the scriptures at, at the gospel is known as the story of Jesus. The gospel is the story of Jesus. That's why when you open up Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it says the gospel according to one of those authors, because the gospel is the whole story. It's the whole thing. It's the life, the burial, the death, the teachings, everything of Jesus, his ascension, his resurrection. It is the whole thing. And if the gospel was just about salvation, or just about atonement, or just about getting me to heaven when I die, we wouldn't need the gospels. We wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't need what we have around Jesus' teachings and his miracles and his healings and everything he does. We would just need Passion Week, and that would be it. But 
We have the whole entire thing because the gospel is the entire story of Jesus, this beautiful good news. A guy named Matthew Bates, I think, puts it best in his book. Uh, The book title is Salvation by Allegiance Alone. It's an amazing read if you have some time. He's an academic, but I think has done a great job at making it pretty simple for us. And he just says he would take a a, a scripture like uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and others and would say that the gospel is this. It's the idea that Jesus the King is one, he preexisted with the Father, Two, he took on human flesh, fulfilling God's promises to David. Three, he died for sins in accordance with the scriptures. Four, he was buried. Five, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Six, he appeared to many. That's part of the gospel. And seven, seven, he's seated at the right hand of God as Lord. And eight, he will come again as judge. The full gospel The entire story, not just a plan and how Jesus saves, and that's important, don't get me wrong, but it's the whole thing, the whole story of Jesus. So, the question is this, is the gospel dangerous? Let me just say this, if there are not social implications to the gospel, then your gospel is too small. If there are not social implications to the gospel, then your gospel is way too small. Sometimes we forget that the gospel, words like gospel and salvation, was not mutually exclusive to Jesus. This is actually one of the things I want to get through to people when I talk to them about the gospels, because oftentimes we think of gospel and salvation and kingship all as mutually exclusive to Jesus. But we know when you study the Bible and when you study outside sources during those days that that is not true. There was someone else in Jesus' day that brought salvation and had his own good news. Do you know who it was? His name was Caesar. The way Caesar, King Caesar in the Roman Empire, brought his gospel of salvation, yes, that's what it was called, to the empire was something through what was called the Pax Romana. Basically, it was a way of peace, but it was through violence that would bring peace. As a citizen in the empire, you had to bow your knee and declare that Caesar was Lord and that he was the one that brought salvation. So as a first, you got to pick up the scriptures and read them with kind of that first century kind of lens. There were all sorts of social and political dimensions to Caesar's gospel. And you got to think with me, think with me, podcasters, instead of brothers and sisters, I'll just say podcasters because this is just a podcast. Think what happens then. When a new king comes with new good news, this good news and this call to turn from ourselves and to put our allegiance in Jesus, friends, it has all sorts of political and social dimensions to it. And salvation and gospel in the first century had political implications and social implications in mind. And so if you want to ask, Is the social gospel dangerous? I don't think we need to call it the social gospel, but is the gospel dangerous? I would say so. And I think it has all sorts of implications on every life that would lean in and listen and then obey it. There's all sorts of things going on. And I'll just say that as we follow the good king, we follow a king who loves justice and righteousness And has a strong call on his followers to advocate for people like the orphan, the widow, 
the refugee, and those on the margins of society. You cannot disconnect what Jesus' salvation does. It liberates, it sets free, and the good news of Jesus has all sorts of political implications. I'm not talking left and right. I'm not talking partisan politics. We're actually going to talk about power and politics later in the series, but I am just telling you, these things cannot be separated from the story of Jesus. So, with all that said, there are a lot of people, and I see it all over the place, that are skeptical of social justice. And here's the thing. That skepticism comes from a posture that wants people to understand that our salvation as Jesus followers is not by works. And I'm empathetic to that. I totally get that. I totally understand that there could be that tension that, and Paul, all over, all over the whole New Testament talks about the caution from thinking our good works makes us right or saves us. But... There are not, honestly, in my life, there are not many people I know trying to earn their salvation by doing good works. I rarely, and I'm around quite a few people in our community, in our church. There's hardly anybody I know right now that is doing good in our city and in our world because they're trying to earn their salvation. I think that's actually an overreaction. And I'm just going to say it, and I may get in trouble for this, but from a lot of conservative Christians. The skeptics of social justice would point and say, well, people are trying to earn their salvation. Honestly, I do not know many people that are trying to earn kind of right standing with God at all. The people that I know that are doing good do it from the right posture that they've heard and experienced this good news of the kingdom and the good news of Jesus. And now we're called to do what the good news leads us to. So I don't, honestly, I just do not think we need a statement on social justice because the good news of Jesus has inseparable, it's inseparable. It has inseparable implications of partnering with God to set the world to rights. This is what biblical justice is. God wants to set the world to rights. The world is broken and in need of healing, and this is what God does, and he's not gonna do it on his own. He's called his followers to join in on this mission with him. And so this involves caring and advocating for the poor and the marginalized. And ultimately, I've just been saying over, it calls for us to be a voice to the voiceless. That's what the call is. So I'm just going to conclude here and say, I don't think there needs to be skepticism or that social justice, if you want to call it, is a bad thing. God loves justice. And as his people, as his followers, we should love justice too. Have an amazing week.